Boots and Backstraps, brought to you by Homes by Shane and produced by Danny Geo Productions. I am Michael, your future host, maybe? This week, we have my happy Shane and Tomcat talking about their hunts in Wisconsin and in Minnesota. Stay tuned for more. Come on, now. Ladies and gentlemen, hunters and huntresses, this is the Boots and Backstraps podcast. Come on now. On his own, looking for backstraps way deep in the woods. Tracking in a swamp to a hayfield under the harvest moon. But when the tags are filled, it's time to switch up our boots. Head down to the honky tonk, get us a swing dance or two. We're talking about boots and backstraps. This is the show where we talk all things hunting and country music. From the classics through today, from big bucks to bull elk, we've got it all. Welcome back to Boots and Backstraps. I am your host, Shane Michael, and I am joined in studio by my uh, dashingly handsome and also very successful this year in your hunting, Tom Cat. Come on now. Come on now. <laughs> Good to see you, man. Yeah, it's been a while it. since we've been in the studio, and... Uh, it's so comfortable and cozy in the studio. We got our great friends, uh, producer Danny and technician Jill, and Lynn Kitty is here today, and we got the fireplace going, and uh, we're no. ready to tell everybody about uh, some hunting stories and uh, something maybe coming up in the future, and we're gonna have fun today. Yeah, you commented about how nice the fire looks, oh. and I totally agree with you. I think it looks great. Feels great, especially when it's. I think it's six degrees right now. We've had is it that warm? <laughs> <laughs> that's about right. Uh, we've had an old-fashioned winter here in Minnesota, that's for sure. Yeah. Not a tremendous amount of snow, uh, but certainly we've got the old-fashioned cold, boy. It's been a cold winter. We got hit hard one time where it was like 18 inches. But other than that, we've had a couple of an inch here, two inches there kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, you know, I think the southern metro and the metro got more snow. We're, we're, we're a half an hour north of the metro, and... I don't think we got as much snow here because I watch every snowstorm and a lot of it goes south of us. Can I tell you a funny story? One of my friends from Texas was telling me you can identify somebody from Minnesota very easily because they always judge distance by time. So like oh, somebody yeah. from Texas would say, oh, you're 25 miles north of Minneapolis or you're right. 50 miles west of this or that. And just now you're like, oh, we're a half hour north of the cities. <laughs> It's like, yeah, just made me think of that because he's, he's totally right. <laughs> boy, you, I don't know if you saw the news. I don't watch the news too much, but, boy, they have a mess down in Texas and all through the the south and all the way up into Maine, you know, that snowstorm. Yeah. Oh, man. I took a baseball. I was an assistant coach of a college baseball team, and we went down to Texas, and they got an ice storm down there, and the whole whole metroplex dallas fort worth everything was shut down uh they don't know how to deal they don't have plow trucks and they don't have salt trucks down there and we slipped and slide and made our way to church one day <laughs> and uh you're the only ones there <laughs> yeah, pretty much well th yeah i should yeah I, it's been a long time but i should rec uh, correct that we went to the church but the church was closed oh geez <laughs> uh, we had a whole school bus full of uh college kids and 
we finally got in a couple days uh, before we had to come back to Minnesota, but it was miserable. They're not used to that, and it's bad down there right now. Yeah, right, right. A little side note. Yeah, so I should warn the uh, listening audience today that um, I do have a head cold, which is why I sound stuffy and all that stuff. I'm not contagious, so no, I'm not getting anybody else in the in the studio sick, and it's definitely not beer virus, so don't worry about that. Beer virus? The beer virus. It was uh, sake virus. Yeah, sake virus. It was Shane's <laughs> birthday yesterday, and we all met at a Japanese hibachi restaurant, and our assistant, Jill, broke the w world record. She, she did. Four sake bottles aimed at her uh, mouth at the same time. and She probably drank a half gallon of sake last night. And I was watching her from the side, and the sake was just gushing over her chin. <laughs> but she wasn't going to surrender. <laughs> I have to ask you, Joe, were you swallowing while they were pouring it in your mouth? Oh, yeah. see, I never did, did that. I just kind of blocked it my throat, and I never thought about swallowing it as they were pouring it. Well, you weren't swallowing fast enough. <laughs> Four <laughs> bottles. <laughs> but I don't know how. They must have had them things aimed at you for a full minute. We there got it a, is. There it is, yeah. <laughs> There's four bottles. See, the one on the far left is uh, the chef, and those guys can take that back like 10 feet and still not miss your mouth. Yeah, it's and impressive. The, and the pretty boy with the uh, pretty blue cowboy hat is Shane. That's <laughs> <laughs> his birthday hat. And then Chris, Jill's guy. And he's having way too much fun in that picture. <laughs> he, uh, at one point, he did take the cap off and just hold it over her head and poured it in there. <laughs> Smart guy. We had a lot of fun last night. I love those hibachi restaurants. Yeah, I think, Tom, I think you agree with me, having been to a, a fair amount of those, that that was a pretty impressive s level of service to oh, the Oh, yeah, that guy was fun. Yeah, he was really good. Uh, Lynn and I were sharing a story last night about I used to live in Aruba, and our, on our honeymoon, we, we went on a cruise. We got married on St. Thomas Island, and then we went down through the islands and wound up in Aruba. And they had a hibachi bar there that I wish I could remember the name of it, but it was amazing. If you ever get to Aruba, it's right on the pier. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, if you, if you are uh, somebody that does cruise line stuff, you know, you take a Caribbean cruise, Aruba is going to be on one of those. Yeah cruises for sure you know ruby I, I said this last night and i'm sorry we're not anywhere as near the topics that we're gonna ah. be discussing today if they've seen more than one of our episodes tom they know how this goes <laughs> <laughs> squirrel <One more> squirrel <laughs> snake um <laughs> i'm sorry there's a fair amount of people in here that knew what that meant um that was an old uh that was a funny from uh, T. Roy, Troy Gentry. We were bear hunting, and I don't know if I can. I guess I can share that. Yeah. It was cold out, and we were relieving ourselves, and I'm like, God, it's like going through four inches of clothes to get at two inches of deal. <laughs> <laughs> and he says, without missing a beat, he says, tell me about it, brother. Sometimes I got to holler, snake, just to get that little <laughs> bastard to pop his head out. Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is awesome. Um, you know, I guess if you're uh, going to do a cruise or go to the island, go to Aruba. It's an English-speaking island. They have the most beautiful casinos. They're not big, crazy casinos like ours. They're smaller, but they're real fancy. And, they're, and they have the most amazing restaurants. 
and the whitest sand for scuba diving. Sure. Aruba is the coolest place, so there you go. I, I've been to uh, um, Antigua, St. Thomas, St. John's, uh, Tortola. Yeah. Those are all kind of in that same general area, obviously. Um, not really. Um, I'm sorry, just for geographical purposes. They're all in the Caribbean, is yeah. my point. Right, right. Aruba is only, oh, I forgot. It's the southernmost island in the chain, and it's right off the coast of Venezuela. Okay. I mean, you can see Venezuela, and we went to Venezuela. They did a little tour thing there, but, yeah, yeah, it's right at the bottom. It's kind of separated from the rest of the islands, and uh, just a cool place to go. Lynn and I had a uh, travel agency at one time, and, boy, that was a fun place to go. <laughs> what have you not owned? I mean, seriously, I've known you for... <laughs> I was going to say the same thing. I've known you for, I was going to say 15 years. It's more than 15 years now. And every time we talk, I learn about another business you've owned. <laughs> uh, you didn't know we had a travel no. agency? No. Called Travel Cat. <laughs> we still have of the cars. Of course cards. it was. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah. Uh, our business partner was <laughs> Dave, uh, Dave Ulrich. Dave owns the uh, Spectacle Shop. And he's got like, I don't know, three or four of those. But his big one is home bases in uh, New Brighton. So we shared an office. It was a really beautiful, cool office. But don't you know that we had horrible timing. When we opened the travel agency, it was like a month later that they nationally put on commission caps. And, like, you know, you make, like, 10% of your sale. Like, say, if we sold a $5,000 cruise, we'd make $500. Well, they put a cap on it where you can only make $100 or what was it? It was all structured, so it, was, it wasn't 10% anymore. You just had a commission cap on it, and it was like, uh, well, that's why you don't see any travel agencies anymore. No. Just a couple of the big ones are still around. Well, that and you have the advent of these websites like Travelocity and Orbits. And, and that was starting to happen as soon as we opened up the travel agency, too. But we had it for, I don't know, couple of years two or three years and it was fun when we went on we took advantage of it and went on some trips nice very nice well let's uh let's get to our whiskey of the week because it's been a while since we've done this whiskey thing and i did talk to my wife my wife's a doctor and she said one of the things that will help me feel better is if i drink some whiskey and i was like really this is like the greatest thing ever <laughs> an excuse <laughs> to drink more bourbon yes <laughs> <laughs> so what we've got today can see the camera here as we've got um turn the bottle a little bit it's called old granddad is the name of the label it's made by the jim beam distillery i got it it is a kentucky bourbon um and the 114 means what tk take a stab at her 114 years of the brewing process i don't know it's probably the company is 115 years old that would be a really awesome guess except that's not it what is a 114 excuse me 114 proof Oh, so it's 57% wow. alcohol. So this one is definitely going to have a little more bite or what, what the, the like uh, aficionados might say. They might say spice rather than bite or burn. They'd say spice. So this one's definitely going to have a little bit more. But there are some – I've had some. You can see the bottle's already open because I couldn't help myself. I was so excited to find this. What are you, Tom? Yeah, I am. <laughs> Tom, I know. He's infecting me. Um, yeah, so anyway, so there are – the bourbons that are really hard to find – are called allocated or allocations. Mm -hmm. And that's where they either are, they don't make that much, there's not that much in production, or they're in s so much demand 
that only like this mom and pop liquor store might only get a case a year or something. Right. So that would be considered allocation. And what a lot of liquor stores do, and what we're finding as you get more and more into the into the bourbon community or um, whiskey in general, is that you got to get in good with these liquor store owners. Like you got to be kissing some rear end and making, <laughs> going to be shaking hands and kissing babies and doing all that stuff to to get on their good side because when they get these allocated bottles in, they typically do not put them on the shelves. Right, they save them for their good customers. Yep, they put them exactly right. You know yeah. all about this. You bet. So they I will, used to drink when they. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so when they when they get these in, they will keep them in their office or keep them in a storeroom or something. And then, as you said, they'll call some of their best customers to say, hey, I just got an Eagle Rare or I just got an EH, Colonel E.H. Taylor or I just got a old granddad 114. Um, I just happened to get lucky enough going to our local liquor store. My son's here today, my 12-year-old. We'll get him on camera in a minute. But, um, yeah, so he, uh, when I was uh, in Rosemount, I stopped up there to get some pizza at the Papa Murphy's for the family. Mm-hmm. They've got some great gluten-free pizza, by the way, plug mm-hmm. for Papa Murphy's. And there's a liquor store right next door. And I was like, you know what? I've never even been in there. I'm just going to go take a look and see what they've got for bourbon. And I'm scanning the bourbon aisle. And on the bottom, about two-thirds, three-fourths of the way down, there was the old granddad. And a I was bourbon like, that my father used to drink and probably his father and an uncle of mine and an aunt of mine and my aunt when she passed. She's from my mother's side of the family is from Detroit. I inherited a a little pint bottle of uh, old granddad and I had it sitting on my shelf for years and one day I just couldn't resist <laughs> it was gone in the blink of an eye and it was good right oh it was really good yeah this is so what I was going to say, uh, say before I went on my tangent about allocation is that despite being a higher proof this still has a very sweet um, note in it it's very flavorful it's not just a punch in the face so so how about a question for you yes sir I guess that it was 114 years old, the company. Mm-hmm. How old is the company? You know, I'm not sure. Probably closer to 200, I would imagine. I know I Jim mean, Beam makes it, so it's uh, in the Jim Beam family. How old is Jim Beam? Oh, pfft. I know Probably 200 years old. Booker uh, Booker Beam. Booker's is fantastic. Yeah, I like, used to like to drink that. My dad gave me a Booker's, a very high-end Booker's for Christmas this year. Oh, really? It's in a decorative box with a plexiglass cover on it and everything cool yeah not open to that one for a while we'll save it for a special occasion like make maybe when michael graduates high school or something so michael gets to tr- uh, try not that i'm contributing to the delinquency of a minor but he does get to try like a little you know little tiny i not even an eyedropper full right um when i break bottles and he's we've been working on his nose so he can recognize flavors and, and things like that with the whiskeys and uh, he's doing great uh, side note, Jim Beam, uh, the fam- the Beam family has been producing whiskey since 1795. <laughs> so it's over 200 years. It was interrupted by Prohibition, but 1795. Right. That's 227 years if my math is right. Boy, Prohibition, what a bad idea that was. Yeah, awful. The, 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 the product of Prohibition was major league crime, an organi- organized crime. But we don't need to go down that rabbit hole. Yeah, I could, I could sit, just sit and talk about that whole prohibition thing right. for like an entire episode. Right. I've got a, a wealth of knowledge about that one too. But anyway, Michael, he wants to pour, so we'll let him come in and do the pour. That's funny, bud. No, you, you better, you better give your old man twice that. 
Because it's good for me. Mom said I should drink it. Perfect. Good job, buddy. You want to put the cork in it? Mom said that you only have two ounces limit. Yeah, that looks like it's about two. There's some <laughs> there's some rocks in there. All right. So anyway, cheers to everybody. If he drinks enough, maybe he'll come home and take a nap. <laughs> and won't bug me. <laughs> right. Jill, did you want some? Happy Lindy, you birthday. want some? A little birthday toast for you. Oh, it's beautiful. It is good. You see this the spice there? Mm-hmm. Higher proof, there's a little bit more spice. Well, you can d- definitely um, distinguish the Jim Beam quality to it. Yep. You know, it has a Jim Beam flavor to it. Yep. Good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. For those of you that maybe uh, have never seen Boots and Backstraps, we always take a few minutes and uh, talk about a different bourbon every week. And Shane has become a bourbon aficionado. He learns the history of the bourbons. And, you know, that's a big deal. You know, there are wine snobs or (laughs) whatever you want to call them. Um, But so many. You have a cough button. I I know that one snuck up on me. Sorry. (laughs) I couldn't get to it fast enough and I wasn't going to cough. I I didn't want to. I was going to say something. (laughs) I don't want to cough in Tom's face. I'm trying to learn to keep my mouth shut. (laughs) (laughs) How's that working for you? (laughs) I don't know. Ask my wife. Off camera, off camera. <laughs> so at any rate, we uh, we showcase a different bourbon every week, and it's really fun. And myself, and I guess I don't care that anyone knows, I pretty much have quit drinking. Um, I'll maybe have a beer once a week maybe, but I really, for the most part, don't drink anymore. It doesn't really agree with me anymore. Sucky. But I still do appreciate the taste <laughs> of a good bourbon. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's the, you know, the idea with my son is training him to understand what it is to drink responsibly, to appreciate the history and culture that goes into making the bourbon and not seeing it like a frat boy where he's just drinking as much of it as he can in a short period of time to get drunk. We don't do that. We don't get drunk. We don't do that ever. Nope. We don't. We don't get drunk at our house. Have a little bit of bourbon. Right. Because I, as I tell my other friends that come over that are now getting into this bourbon thing, I'm getting kind of a movement going locally. Mm-hmm. And they're, I tell them all the time, like, if, if you can't taste it anymore, stop. Yeah. If, if your taste buds have gone to that point, oh, speaking of not drinking. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, I wish somebody would have told me that when I was younger. Yeah. Like, you, if you can't taste it anymore, you're not drinking anymore to appreciate what you're, what you're drinking. Right. So you stop. And if you can't correctly use the English language, <laughs> that's another sign to quit drinking. Yeah, S's get or real stop. tough. <laughs> Oh, there's another one we could talk about all day. Let's talk about some hunting. Hunting. A lot of people tune in yeah. to hear uh, us talk about hunting. And we're going to recap this year's hunts uh, and maybe what we're going to do is maybe a spring turkey hunt. But we had a lot of fun this year. We really had a lot of fun. Some great uh, trips. Uh, we always start out the hunting season uh, with an antelope hunt. Uh, and I, if you've heard uh, any of our shows before, we've talked about this a few times, but Shane uh, was not raised as a hunter. What do we got going there? That's oh. on our way out to our antelope spot. Uh, I gotcha. And uh, so I kind of mentored him into hunting, and uh, we would go up to Full Draw Archery right here by my house, and we'd practice, practice, practice many times a week. Uh, for a long time and he got to be a very proficient archer and his first hunting trip ever was an antelope hunt to northwest south dakota 
and there's a family ranch out there. They have thousands of acres where we stay. And uh, the first arrow he ever flung was at an antelope. He hammered that antelope at 60 yards. And for those of you that think it's unethical to shoot an arrow at 60 yards, with modern equipment these days, it's, it's become very commonplace. And if you practice at 60 or 70 yards, I mean, every year for years I shot in a 100-yard shoot. And you should see these guys and the new equipment. You can pop a balloon at 100 yards. Uh, I can. I used to be able to pop a balloon probably 8 out of 10 tries at 100 yards. So that's just the equipment. And anyway, he and that year, we, we shot a lot that summer. I mean, oh, we yeah. were both about a 3-inch group at like 80. So. Right. <laughs> um, so he hammered his first antelope with his first shot on his first hunt right through the heart, broke both of the legs we watched the thing tumble and it was really exciting i mean i was he was kneeling right in front of me and he was just dialed in <laughs> he was he had the eye of the tiger and he i'm like i'm thinking ooh, 60 yards your first time and when that arrow popped that antelope i was like holy cow that was great so anyway this year we i uh, went to the same place and uh you know, the antelope aren't as plentiful as they used to be anywhere, even in Wyoming. They got coyotes. Yeah, lots of coyotes. I don't know how it is down in uh, eastern Colorado or New Mexico. I, I don't know how the population is. Um, but I know in the Dakotas and even Wyoming, it's down considerably. So we've uh, been hunting that land now for three years, and uh, we've got the water holes figured out, and we've got every... Uh, decoy known to man. We have a cow decoy. We have antelope <laughs> decoys. We have an antelope hat that I should That's have had. That's my on. favorite. Yeah. That's I should have favorite. had that on when I was stalking that one big buck that took off and I missed. Um, but uh, we have a lot of fun out there. And I, I wish we would have found the spots that we had this year, you know, or t in 21, this last fall, two years ago. Because oh, they're great spots. Oh, they're excellent spots. So I did, uh, fortunately, hammer a nice antelope this year. Here it is. Yeah, just a juvenile. Big body, though. Yeah, he, it was great. I mean, I don't think that thing was, well, it might have been. You know, it's hard to tell. It's hard to judge distance out west. But it was not no more than 20 yards from me. And uh, it was just fun. Antelope are such a fun animal to hunt. The hardest animal on the planet to hunt, in my opinion, they can see like no other animal. I think the only other animal that has eyesight similar to theirs is the turkey. And I don't know which one's better, the turkey or the antelope. But their hearing is exceptional. Like their They're the fastest land mammal yep. in North America. They're tough. And I got a friend out in South Dakota who, with his bow, spot and stalks, kills a Pope and Young antelope every year. And I've known him for over 20 years, so he's got a lot of antelope on the wall. So that's quite a feat. It's kind of nice sitting on a water hole, but it's a lot of fun to get out and decoy them or even stalk them if the wind and the terrain is correct. That's, uh, that's the challenge out there, right? Yeah. When you're hunting um, the plains, you don't have cover. No. It's wide open. So not only can they see you, but as you just mentioned, they can smell you. Right. Yeah, they, they have eyes like no other. It's amazing. They... Uh, when I first started antelope hunting, I'd sneak up, I'd crawl, belly crawl up a hill, and I learned to wear elbow pads and knee pads because of all the ground cactus. <laughs> and 
you'd pop your head through a, just a clump of stage brush and the herd could be, I'm serious, and I know there are people that'll confirm this, the herd could be a mile away and you pop your head through and all of a sudden a dozen heads turn and they look right at you and you're like, what? They can't be looking at me and you look around and I learned that they're yeah they're looking at you they can see like they can see like no other animal it just amazes me yeah and uh, so we had a good antelope hunt and and then usually we would go out to Colorado right. and chase elk in the mountains but we didn't do that TK and why big spender did we not do that well we had a, a connection out there and it kind of fell through I um, I have a really great guy Terry remember Terry yep mule guy. The guy uh, runs mules out of Colorado and uh, just a salt-of-the-earth guy. And I think maybe, I don't know, he, he had a couple spots, but he wasn't sure about the licensing and which zone. He, he's an old, he's about my age, so he's a little older guy. And he, uh, I think he was getting frustrated and uh, getting busy because he's a very talented uh, tracker, and uh, he's the guy that found my elk. Um, with his mules, he was on his mule when he found my bull when we were in uh, Colorado a couple years ago. And I don't know, it just it just didn't happen. He uh, couldn't figure it out, so we didn't go. Well, and you had your uh, your sights and your wallet set on Wisconsin. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, we bought a piece of property in Wisconsin, um, my wife and I, 40 acres, and uh, we spent a lot of time over there <laughs> and we have wonderful stories about that uh, piece of property uh, it's 40 acres uh, just a little southeast of Frederick Wisconsin and uh, butts up against hundreds of acres oh, of state land and I'm telling you the terrain there is just beautiful terrain it's like very hilly lots of water lots of lakes I mean I know there's water there there wasn't any water last fall because of the drought a lot of lakes and uh, ponds and small bodies of water were dry, but uh, just walking around the terrain was amazing. It was so beautiful. And, uh, yeah, it butts up to hundreds and hundreds of acres of uh, thousands of acres of uh, public land. And this public land isn't real accessible. So I, when I was there, there was nobody on that public land, right? which is pretty uh, rare these days, you know, usually uh, – Public land gets hammered pretty good, but there was nobody. I, as far as I went, maybe maybe quite a ways to the west or to the south there was people, but there wasn't anyone up in the northeast uh, part of that property. And uh, it's pretty cool, pretty cool, pretty beautiful piece of property, real excited. And not only did we acquire this property, we made two great friends, um, Tiff and uh, Justin, Justin and Whitney. Just yeah, Tiff. I was thinking Tiffany, not Whitney. Whitney and uh, Justin and uh, we put our camper. Uh, it's not a camper; it's a mobile home. And park model. Uh, it's a park model mobile home. But you know, they're salt of the earth too. Just great people, and they are. We uh, actually we were trying to figure out how we we're going to stay in a motel if we're going to pull the camper that we bought for antelope hunting out, and. Through the conversations, Shane's mother-in-law says, you know, I've got a park model mobile home that we never use. Why don't you just take that? And we're like, what? Really? And with furniture. 
fully furnished and has hardly ever been used. <laughs> and it was like, it's just this beautiful. Do we have pictures of that? Because I do we have video. Uh, pictures on my phone of, uh, there's a picture of uh, something. Oh, <laughs> that's the back bedroom. No, it's not. That's, that's the, the front. front bedroom. That's where I was sleeping. Right. Got the TV. We have a TV and DVD player in there. Yep. Not that we used it much, but we did a little. And uh, you must be fond of that shot. I think he's saying, is that a heater right there? It's a portable heater because we, oh, yeah. we had stories to talk about with the furnace on that thing. <sighs> Got it figured out, but it was uh, Can't imagine. It was a challenge Heaters are necessary. <laughs> Especially out there, man. It was cold. Is, that a, is there a sliders on this? Like, is this a slide out? Yeah. <laughs> they don't well, slide they in. They don't slide. They did slide <laughs> out at one time, but they don't slide back in. Gotcha. And look at that chair. Oh, I mean, very it's got an ottoman in front of it. I mean, I think my mom had that set back in the 70s. <laughs> sure. What do you mean had? She probably still does somewhere. <laughs> no, no. She likes See, this switching is her one furniture of the, too much. That's one of the bump outs or slide outs. But okay. as we found out, they don't. there's my dog. Yep, there's, there's the ace, ace man. man. Oh. He's a good boy. Yes, he He's is. He's going to be turning 91 years old. It's my Ooh. hunting bucket there and uh, Tom's cookware bucket on the table there. Yeah, and that's the dining room table, and uh, I assume you're going to continue panning. Yes, sir. There's a hallway to the bathroom, but look at that kitchen. And there's a sliding, a sliding door. door. Yeah, there's you step You fancy. And it's, all this stuff is, like, brand new. Wow. We were So before we got the furnace running, we were using the oven as a heat source, which is why mm. it's open. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Oreos. Can you pause that? Yeah. So that bucket on the – tell people about the bucket thing, Tom, because that's pretty well, cool. Well, we don't have plumbing because we pulled it on the backside of their shed. And uh, so I put a bucket underneath the sink so when you, you can wash your hands, brush your teeth. Nice. And they have all the water that, that a guy needs. And then there's the Oreo cookies on top. That's important. It's <laughs> <laughs> a dire necessity, I'm pretty sure. Um, that's smart, though. That's innovative. Yeah, he that was all Tom. He was like, I'm going to bring my jug, five-gallon jug. We'll fill it up with, with fresh, usable, or potable water for brushing teeth and washing hands, and then we'll just put this five-gallon bucket underneath Genius. and dump that out as it needs to be. That's that refrigerator, everything. It was funny, uh, the microwave that you went by, you don't have to go back. I'm trying to figure out this microwave because sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't. So I'm trying different plugs. There's a bathroom. Mm. Different outlets, and I'm thinking maybe the breaker and the outlet's gone. It turns out you just got to slam the door. <laughs> you got to slam the door on the microwave to get it to work. Nice. So <laughs> little things here and there, uh, but that. Who's that guy? I don't know, some hillbilly hunter doing Someone drugs. That's old granddad, 114 right there. <laughs> <laughs> He's just stashed in the back. It's fine. Oh, so he gets the big bed. I see how it is. He gets the master bedroom. All right. Closet, dresser, the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, and you know, with the furnace running or the electric heater running mm -hmm. and both doors closed, I don't hear Shane snoring. <laughs> I mean, that is kind of humorous, but. That's if huge. Guy, if, it's, if, it is big in there, yeah. If anyone uh, knows the. Pause that for a second. Yeah. So we th we have another bed just like that one that's stored underneath this bed, so we could easily sleep. Can the couch pulls out? My brother uh, doesn't. Unlike your brother. 
I know. He has um, a shirt that says that. He well, does. They're, they're both uh, his best friend bunk gave beds, it to him. So we could sleep four right up in that front row right there. Yep. Because so both of them are bunk beds. Four up there and two in the back. You could pretty comfortably sleep six people in that. Wow. Which, we ain't, which we ain't never going to do. Now. That'd be too damn crowded. Yeah. I mean, if you were getting creative, well, you could get up to like 8 to 12. No. <laughs> we don't have that many. I mean, it would be a situation where maybe if we brought our wives, you do that. But from a hunting standpoint, that's not going to work because there yeah. just are not enough spots on the land. Right. There's where you're it's not, only 40 acres. Yeah, you're not. <laughs> you'd be concerned about shooting only at each other. 40 acres. I, I've always been curious about that, though, uh, about like. So you're going hunting with how many people? How do you not shoot each other? But I suppose you guys scout out your locations and oh, safety. Yeah. And you know, a, a good answer to that question is typically uh, deer stands are up high. So you're typically shooting down towards the earth, mm-hmm. which is a huge, equa- uh, huge part of the equation for like that. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, Whose frog butt is that? Are you taking pictures of my butt again? <laughs> Now it was a he. So what happened was, is Tom worked out a deal with the with the neighbor farmer to purchase this deer stand that he had out there that had been out there a long time and unused. So we took Tom's four wheeler down there, and Tom was up there cutting the straps that are holding it against the tree. And he's like, "Hang on to the bottom of this ladder. <laughs> I'm going to climb up here and cut <laughs> these straps." <laughs> okay. <laughs> You know, before we go any further, I want to finish what I was saying. Yeah. Those of you that have sleep issues, you know what I'm talking about. It's like you do anything you can to get your quiet and get your sleep. So even though that's kind of a funny story about closing both doors and having the heater running, (laughs) it's really something uh, a guy that doesn't get any sleep. Like last night, I got two hours last night, maybe two hours this morning. Uh it's a curse, but it's going to it's going to get better. Yeah, we've learned now after hunting together for five years that we can't do this like a hotel room together. Right. Well, we can. It's even with you wearing earplugs, you still find a way to hear me. I know it's a bad deal, but he's always yelling at me in the middle of the night. Train, flip over. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Shut up. You're killing me. <laughs> Doesn't get that bad. So the uh, property. Yeah, we got that deer stand for thirty five dollars and. uh I said to the guy, he's a real nice guy, and I said, well, are you, do you ever use that stand? He says, no. I said, well, you, I'll buy it from you. And he says, sure. And I said, how does 50 bucks sound? He said, too much, 35 <laughs> I'm like, well, that's nice. He's a pretty cool guy. Yeah, because those new were 150 bucks. Oh, yeah, yeah. For a ladder stand like that. Yeah. So that was a good deal, and uh, we've got so many uh, cool places uh we did not harvest a deer off that property this year. Uh, we spent a lot of time trying to figure out the property where the deer were traveling, and uh, they had nothing to eat on our property. There, there was no forage for them, so we're building food plots this spring. Yep. And uh, we've got put my son's back to work. Yeah. And uh, so we're going to put in a, a few food plots, and we're going to blaze some trails, and I've got probably a half a dozen different locations for uh, stand placements uh, where the deer were traveling through and the neighbors got you know he's got better for better forage than we did but that's another story at any rate we didn't harvest a deer on the food but we had a lot of fun I mean it was really fun <laughs> why don't you share that I've been talking a lot today why don't you share the story of how we got that 
park model RV from up by Moose Lake, Minnesota, uh, Sturgeon Falls. Sturgeon right? Lake. Sturgeon Lake. Yep. <laughs> All the way to east of Frederick, Wisconsin. Well, I, I can start it out by I uh, got a buddy of mine from River Falls, Wisconsin, to bring his big diesel truck up. Oh, it was just a beautiful piece of machinery. Oh, man, and he wasn't intimidated by it all. And uh, we couldn't figure out how to get the uh, bump outs in, and then Shane went online and take it from there. Yeah, <laughs> so we so obviously we where she had it was behind a couple of the garages on the property. Right. So we went in there, secured furniture, made sure that it, it was going to be travel safe, you know, as far as stuff in the cabinetry right. and all that kind of thing. And the tires. And yep. Tires. Pull it out onto the roadway so that we could get the slide outs pushed in and then hit the road. <laughs> well, we're looking everywhere inside the camper. Couldn't find a button or a crank or anything. Looking everywhere outside. Couldn't find a button or crank or anything. The, the bottom of the slide outs didn't have actual slides on them. Right. So we're like, how in the world do you do this? So I pull up the old Google, and I'm flipping around on there, and I looked at <laughs> probably half dozen different forums talk, talking about this particular park model or park models in general, and as it turns out... They don't go in. They don't go <laughs> in. Like, they're manufactured out, and they stay out. Like they, they, There's no sliding involved. When they build the, the... It's a mobile home. You can see it's trailer. And then they build the the what would be a slide out and they just hold it up to the thing and bolt it on basically like yeah. there's no sliding of any kind and what makes it equally as deceiving is there is a great big v trailer hitch in the front so you think well this is very mobile yes it ain't nope <laughs> like that's that literally is just there to transport it to wherever it's going to go with the intent of it going there and then never moving again right which is what we said with this we're like okay once we get it out to the the Wisconsin deer camp and get it set up where we want it. It's not ever moving again. We, we, so anyway, so we, once we realized that it wasn't going to go in, it was a matter of, okay, how are we going to pull this off? Well, right away, we know, as you said, Tom, <laughs> we can't take it on the highway. Right. Cause you can't drive highway speeds with those, those bump outs sticking out. Right. Not that his truck couldn't pull it, but, yeah, his truck could pull it, but the tires were a little suspect too. Yeah. So they were brand what, new tires. What year was it? Uh, I think it's 20, 20 something years old 21 25 something like that years old but the tires were in immaculate condition for its age because she kept them covered right oh that's right had covers on them so when we pulled the covers off there wasn't a split or crack or right, right. or you know sun fade i mean they looked like they just got put on last week right they were in perfect condition and they were full of air too we didn't have to put it we didn't have to put air well in my brother-in-law put air oh, that's right in a couple of them yeah joe to give joe some credit he did go out there and put air in them um, yeah. So anyway, so when we got there, they were they were good to go. They were ready to get on the road. So anyway, so we got the the situation. Where we can't take it on the highway. So Tom's like, well, let's just we'll pull a little Dukes of Hazard here and go back road all the way over there. And we did. We did. So we're just south of Sturgeon Lake, coming into Willow River, and hit this little mom and pop gas station. And we're like, we got to find something we can flag those bump outs with, <laughs> just to give them some designation on the road so people can avoid them, right? Yeah, and back up just uh, a, a little ways, old Marty, my buddy. Uh, Marty from Was River Falls, Wisconsin, he's always up for a challenge, so he wasn't intimidated. He says, we'll pull that thing over there. You know, Ram 2500 heavy duty with an <laughs> intercooler and a transmission upgrade on it. He was like, I could pull this trailer and four others behind it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, all right. Uh, 
Uh, do we have any pictures? We got to have pictures of this. Yep, somewhere pictures and video. I thought we, because I think we kind of told this story a little in a different podcast. Yeah, we might. I think have. we did. I think we did. So we have them somewhere. Maybe Danny, you can take a peek, um, and if she can find them, she can find them. Oh. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyways, so we stopped at the gas station, and we couldn't find anything red. What did we find, orange. TK? We're looking for some orange. Uh, well, yeah. We uh, wanted red. So, so Marty goes in uh, and he says, "Well, these will work." He bought a pair of uh, blaze orange hunting gloves, <laughs> extra large, <laughs> and he tacked them to the bump outs. <laughs> it was like going down the road. It was like we were waving hello or goodbye <laughs> to somebody. <laughs> And, you know, as I come to find out later, somebody said to me, well, you know, if you'd attack the, and I have one here at the house, one of those triangle slow-moving vehicles, that would get you around a couple of the tickets that we could have gotten. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. There were, I don't think the tabs are updated. Oh, those tabs are 20 years old. <laughs> and uh, I think we could have got nailed for about five different things. <laughs> at least. But, you know, we went through... Uh, what did we go through? Uh, Danbury, Wisconsin. Yeah. And we went south through. Uh, so he, Mar you and Marty were in the truck. Right. I was in my car following you guys. Right. To make sure that it was safe from behind the right, camper. Right. And so that was, we went 80 miles like that. Right. <laughs> and and relatively little traffic, right? I know. it, But the, it was so funny being in the truck pulling that with the bump outs out. Everyone that went past us had their hands up in the air and they're going are you crazy yep we are like, and they were like hand signaling and gesturing and <laughs> we're like yes we're we like, know oh. we're driving a trailer with the bump outs out we know <laughs> yeah. like people don't realize that like they're, they're looking at you like do you know your slide outs are out like yeah knucklehead we know they're out we put the gloves on them <laughs> well they're the ones thinking we're the knuckleheads but <laughs> it's pretty hard to explain to each driver they're like, well these don't really go back in so thank you for the for the bird or whatever you gave us <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah did it, danny did you find something i thought i saw you flash something on the screen there. no i thought that was it but it is not i so. know you actually took a video i put it online I, oh I actually i could find that you know what hold on a second danny i think i might have it in my because uh, i sent it to my wife and my mother-in-law did you put it on your Facebook? Um, I said it through Messenger. Mm, then you're going to have to Messenger it to me. Which I can do. Um, cool. I will look for that really quick. So we had a decision to make, right? TK was like, we're either going to do what we did to get it over there, or we're going to have to hire some professional right. company for a grand or whatever to drag it for us. So we did what we did. Do I did he did he dum did he do, and we got it done. <laughs> We got um, it done. Don't we regret it at all. Uh, it was super we fun. We went through Duxbury, we went through Grantsburg, and we went through Frederick, none of which are really, really big towns, but as luck would have it and uh, as prayer would have it, I bet uh, there was we a never lot got pulled over. of praying on the way there. Like, oh, we uh, did a little huddle and prayed that we'd make it there, and we did. Good. Danny, you should have those now. I got it. <laughs> I got it. Yeah, it was a... Uh, it was a laughable trip. It was maybe maybe it wouldn't have been so funny if we had gotten pulled over, but <laughs> it was. Uh, we can explain. That's what. <laughs> that's what Marty was laughing the whole way. He's like, "Look at this guy! <laughs> Look at this!" So there's the video of Shane following us, and to the right, I don't know how.
how close he gets there. Or no, to the left, rather. You can see the bump outs. Right here, yep. <laughs> I was and so for the he gloves. was hugging the uh, white line on the right to keep the bump outs in. To keep the bump outs on the uh, <laughs> oh lane God. of traffic. Yellow lanes in the middle. <laughs> oh, that was fun. Does somebody hear a goose? I heard a goose. Yeah. So anyway, so we get this thing out to Wisconsin, and our as you m previously mentioned, our friends Justin and Whitney, our new friends in Wisconsin, that own that were the ones that owned the property you purchased, but also owned the connecting 15 acres where we parked this camper. Um, we became good friends with them, and they prepared the spot for us. Right. So they allowed us to park it right behind their detached building, and then he wired up an outlet for us on the back of that garage. Wired up a 210? I mean, it was amazing. He's so handy. Are we supposed to both drink at the same time? Yes, sir. <laughs> yeah, wired up an outlet for us so we could, you know, have the camper set up with electric. Yep. Um, and then he was very handy and helpful for us in getting that furnace situation figured out on the camper. But so we get it out there. And, Danny, did you, were you able to get any of that uploaded? I'm working on it. Okay. So we, when we get it out there and get it in the spot, then the next task we have to do is to get it blocked up, right, TK? Yep. That was a that went well considering uh, we had some tight squeezes and yeah. you cut up all those two by sixes and right. Uh, we got it blocked up really nice. <laughs> we used a lot of blocks. We did, which we got free of charge again from your mother-in-law. Yeah, she had she all had those pile of them, and that was all from when she had the, the when they were using that camper. Right, right. They had it blocked. So um, she had all the blocks, and she gave us uh, two prefab stairwells. Yep. One for your bedroom. Right. And one, one, one door. wide one for the sliding glass door. Nice wide one. Um, so, yeah. So, it's, I mean, it's as, here we go. Here's here's where we, when we first got it out there. So, it's not blocked or anything yet. You can clearly see there aren't any block stacks. Um, but and that's where we parked it. stairwells aren't there. Who's that? You or me? That's you. Oh, it's leaning, so I'm straightening it out. <laughs> <laughs> so, we did as we put. Um, cinder block stacks across the front in three different spots, across the back in three different spots, and then underneath those slide outs in a couple of different spots on each of those. So we used quite a few blocks to make sure that that sucker was rock solid. It wasn't going to tip, twist, turn. Yeah, and it is rock solid. It is. And you're walking around in it. It's just like being inside your house. Right. It's a cool setup. Yeah, it's great. Tell them the whole... Uh Tell them the issues we had with the furnace. It was, I, it's a good thing I had my friend from Ellsworth who works on camper. He has this business, a mobile business, where he pulls a trailer, and if you call him and you have issues, any issues at all with your camper, yeah. and for instance, like winterizing your camper, yeah. that's what he does. He goes to your home, and he's just the most helpful, great Christian man, and had him on the phone uh Sending him pictures back and forth. We had him on the phone for like forty-five minutes, and he was so helpful. Yeah, All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna interrupt you guys because I want to get to this hunting. I don't know if you guys hunt. Where did you hunt first, Wisconsin or Minnesota? Minnesota. We should talk about it. Yeah, can we? Uh, do we need to? Are we up against it? Do we need to take a break? No, we'll we don't have to take a break. Okay, cool. Let's just yeah, I suppose we are dragging this one out a little bit. No, it's fine because <laughs> I, I do want to talk about more with the with the camper. But she's right. We should talk about the actual hunt in Minnesota. Yeah. So that was before. So we we um, we bailed on the elk trip 
because we, you know, our, uh, like you said, our connection, our guy out there couldn't pull it together. And then we ultimately ended up having to spend so much time out in Wisconsin trying to prepare to hunt out there, getting that trailer set up that uh, we just couldn't be in two places at once, obviously. Right, right. We did get an invite with your, or you have a standing invite, and I got invited to join to go hunt northern Minnesota. We have it on video that you got an invite, don't we? <laughs> Mr. DeRay, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. We have yes. it on video. He did invite you on video. We yeah. can uh, we can send that to him if he ever yeah. goes. No, Shane, not this year. Be like, oh, For no, those no. Those who are wondering, uh, <laughs> I don't know, 40 years ago when I went to work with Tommy DeRay at the Hog's Breath, I was really big into hunting, and he had a huge piece of land up in the northwest corner. And I said, well, do you ever go up there and hunt? And this is when I first got to know him. He goes, not really. I said, well, let's go up there. I'm thinking, wow, this is a great opportunity. So he and I and Big Steve went up there, and we hunted, and we had a ball, killed a lot of deer. And so ever since, that was like 79, if I'm not mistaken. I think it was 79 we first went up there. I was two. <laughs> and, I uh, was not. <laughs> <laughs> you were negative. So it turns out Tom and his brother, up who lives up in the, that area, and his nephew, well, they have a lot of farms up there, and they have thousands and thousands of acres that they farm. And it's really a wonderful place to hunt deer. There's lots of deer. You see a lot of deer every day. Uh, their numbers are down a little bit, but uh, still you see quite a few deer and so we did a podcast at the Hog's Breath. I saw deer every day. And uh, what's that? I saw deer every day that I was oh there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And when the when the deer population was bigger before the wolves moved in, um, you'd see at least 20 deer every day. Um, so. Is this from uh, his land? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's one of, that's the main farm. That's the home place. Big Steve is. How did you get Hank Williams to hunt with you? <laughs> Bribery. Yeah, there's old Hanky Panky, and uh, that's his brother, who's no longer with us. That's myself, the third guy from the left, and Jimmy, who's no longer with us, and Big Dave Miller, who we've had on the podcast. Tommy DeRay's got the military stuff on. He's the owner of the Hog's Breath and uh, still uh, one of my best friends. And there's Wheels, who we still hunt with up there, and... Dennis Colossa on the far right, who was the manager of the Hog's Breath for many, many years when it first opened up. So uh, that was just a little sampling of some That's of the That's an gear. impressive You started running down the thing. line from the left and like, he's not with us and he's not with us. I'm like, should I be nervous being your friend? You, you should be. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, we're, we're very safe up there. Safety first, always. Um, those guys died of, uh, you know, just some sort of, one was cancer, and I don't remember what the other one was. Um, sad to say, but that's, the older you get, the more it happens, your friends go. And uh, so we've been hunting up there for over 40 years, obviously. I guess it's 44 years we've been hunting up there. Shane, yeah. is the videos that you sent, is that from your up north trip? Uh the one uh, where the there's two, it looks like two deers. Show, show me. I can't. Just kidding. <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean you can't? Yeah, you can. This yep. one? Yep. This is from up there? Yep. It's a couple of young bucks that were fighting in the field in front of me. They were about 250 yards away, which is definitely in shooting range, but they were too small. So Tommy 
Um, well, the the guys, Tom and Tom and Wheels and, and Tom, um, there's three of us. Blaisdell. Uh, yeah, all you guys, they have a hard and fast rule up there that says the it's got to be at least four on each side, and it's got to be wider than the ears if, it's, right. if it's a buck to shoot it. Like they, that's their rule. If you shoot a, you know, a six pointer, or, or you shoot a even an eight, that's not as that's outside the ears. You're gonna be in trouble. You're sitting in the Taj Mahal right there. No, no, this is that alley. That's that oh, tree yeah, stand, yeah, yeah. ladder stand. Wait, you name all of your stands? Yes. <gasps> Tell me all the names. Well, you got you know, like when you're bear hunting, we had the bus bait and we had the field bait and we had the swamp bait. And up here, we've got the Taj Mahal. We got the keep that up for a second, Danny. The strip, uh, the Tommy strip. We got the Blavitt strip. We have the Burdells, which is a neighbor. Yeah, you you got to name them. People either put numbers on them or names to them so that you know where you're ta- what you're talking about. Like I was on the funnel strip, I was on the funnel stand rather, and uh, they'll know exactly where I'm talking about. So where I'm sitting on this particular ladder stand, it's about 25 yards from the one side of that lane that I'm on to the other side. You can see it's kind of a lane, 30 yards. Yep. Um, and you can see all the way up on that north side, there's a big open field. It's probably a two, three, four acre field, and then to the south of me is another big huge corn field much larger than the one that's on the north so they they walk this lane getting from one field to the other or from one side of the woods to the other side of the woods and so that's i saw a lot of deer sitting in that stand coming through there now the deal was as tom gave me some pretty expressed instructions tk here said don't shoot a doe on your first few days or whatever wait till your last day to shoot a doe because i had a doe license and a buck license and he's like, you know, if you shoot a doe, because we're we're um, firearm hunting, that it'll it'll kind of ruin that spot for a couple of days. So you don't want to be, you know, unless you see a big buck, don't shoot a doe until your last day. So that's essentially what I did. Is I I saw a crap ton of doe come through that area, and I just let them go. I filmed a couple of them. I took some pictures of a couple of them, but for the most part, I just watched and let them go. Um, and then. Um, did there is another you've got another video from the that north field the smaller field that you could see in that last video there's a i was just gonna say this is funny so i mean shane told me this earlier but he had to sit in the back because the two toms needed to yeah we're so the, way older than he is yeah that's true <laughs> they've, they've got more delicate keisters that's right protect them keisters so the the van um tom's hunting van only has two seats in it so i'm sitting in a camp chair right behind the two seats so the three of us could talk and uh when we were driving up there we're just getting ready to leave the gas station and the local sheriff comes over make sure to like and subscribe and please hit the bell icon stay tuned for more boots and backstraps brought to you by homes by shane and produced by danny geo productions the journey is a special thing the journey has meant the world to me It's special because we've done it together. There's always going to be improvements that can be made, celebrations along the way, adversities to overcome, and maybe a dad joke or two. If I learned anything about the journey in our time together, it's that you've just got to take it all in and do what's right. Continue to grow, continue to live in the moment, 
journey is never ending. I'm excited to take this next step in our journey together. And the local sheriff comes over. So we were sweating bullets thinking, we're going to get in trouble because I don't have a seatbelt. We were going through Motley, Minnesota. Yeah. And I came in too fast. And he pulled us over, and I pulled into that gas station. Yeah. And I, I used to go to church in Motley. <laughs> and so of course you did. I'm small <laughs> talking to him. And did you run a church? Just curious. Did I what? Run a Did you own a church? No. You own everything, so I was just, no. I was just checking. Right, exactly. <laughs> the one business he hasn't owned. Um, so I didn't even think about it, I, I don't think, until we left. But we could have gotten a ticket for not having a seat in the back. Yeah. But he kept him busy, and he didn't give us a ticket, thank goodness. You are the, like, schmoozer of all schmoozers. You had this guy telling you about his entire family history <laughs> after just meeting you. And then he's like, all right, boys, good luck hunting. Be on your way. No ticket, no warning, nothing. Just, you know, see you later. <laughs> I, I, I am fortunate. You know, I, I think sincerity is the key. I can remember going across Montana, and, you know, this is when they didn't have a speed limit in Montana. And I'm flying by because I had to get to the next gas station because nature was calling really, really bad. Sure. Teeth are I, I got pulled over, and I said, you know, officer, I said, I know I was going really, really fast. I said, and he said, you know, we don't have a speed limit. I said, I can't talk to you about it right now. You might have to pull me over again because I'm leaving because I'm going to poop in my pants. <laughs> and I just said, you, you can follow me, whatever you want. I said, I got to get to the next guy. So he did. He followed me, and I ran out to the to the um, lavatory. And <laughs> <laughs> did he stand outside the stall with his ticket book no. for you? <laughs> No, hey, there's no toilet paper. Give me one of them. <laughs> I think if you're sincere with them, I think they're – if you don't try and BS them because they've heard it all. You yes, know? they have. So if you're – Like a priest in confession, right. they've heard it all. If you're respectful, number one, and if you are sincere, I think they're, they, they respect the fact that you are showing them respect. Yes. And uh, I have gotten out of a lot of tickets by being <laughs> respectful and <laughs> – and schmoozing. And I guess you would be the expert on that, so I guess I did schmooze. Yep, the gift of gab you have, my friend. I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't know if I've got that much anymore. <laughs> yeah, he... Uh, he. You do. You do. Is <laughs> so When he came up to the window, he had every intent of going over his probably typical, here's why I pulled you over, here's my name, you know, give me your license and registration, blah, blah, blah. And you got right into... Oh, well, you got to you... start, start the conversation. <laughs> you from this area? something else. Yeah, oh, it was, it was hilarious. I mean, <laughs> that guy stood there and talked to you for five minutes, and then he's smiling and laughing. We're all smiling and laughing. He says, good luck hunting, and sends us on our way. <laughs> and, you know, I have a predator gun in my van yep. for varmints, uh, skunks and raccoons or feral cats. And I, had it, I have it strapped to that passenger seat. Yeah. And I have a, a rain gear draped over it, not to hide it, just because it hangs nice there. But I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I don't, have, I don't have that thing cased. It's kind of cased because it was draped in a rain gear, but it wasn't legally cased, so he could have got us for that too. 
uh, it is legally cased now. Um, so anyway, that was a fun experience just getting up to uh, northwestern Minnesota. Yeah, and what a so we get up there, and uh, this is my first time being at the Minnesota deer camp because although <laughs> we're hunting Duray property, we don't stay on Duray property. Right. Right. Uh, we stay at a friend of ours, Tom Blazeski. We've talked about him. We call him Old Blaisdale. We all have nicknames. And uh, what's yours? <laughs> TK celebrity. Well, because there's so many. Yeah, that's boring. Um, because there's so many Toms. I'm TK. Tommy Duray is TD, and Tom Blazeski is Blaisdale or Blaze. Um, so he has a beautiful, beautiful home. Unbelievably beautiful. And it's a horse ranch, and it's our deer camp. Um, he's got all, lots of the deer we've killed in the past. I guess he's got, I counted them, but I think maybe there's like 14 or 15 uh, full-mounted, not full-mounted, but half-mounted deer on the walls. And the uh, shoulder and mounts. The, the iron book is represented there as well. Yeah. It's a replica, but the uh, guy used to hunt with us who's dead also. Paul Wolf. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm getting nervous. <laughs> he had lupus or something similar to lupus. Anyway, yeah, it's a beautiful house. We don't rough it. His son comes home and he brings cot or halibut and moose meat, and which we didn't get to taste. But Jerks. You know, Dave would bring up steaks and spaghetti. We eat really well, and you know, he's got a big screen TV and just, uh, you know, plenty of rooms, plenty of beds, and so it's really nice. It's a really we look forward to that trip so much. So Shane was invited up this year. We did a podcast at the Hogs Breath, and Tommy Shane made sure that he invited him on film because <laughs> I said to Tommy, "Get this on recording." I said, "You know, before we go up uh, deer hunting this year, you know, you did invite Shane." He looks at me. He goes, "Did I?" I said, "Yeah, we made sure he was on film <laughs> when we were doing the podcast." <laughs> We probably had you distracted, but you did invite him. <laughs> he said, well, that's fine. You know, it's not, not like we're terribly inclusive. We yeah, can't really to be have. fair, Tom, Tommy and I are friendly. He's, yeah. I mean, not to the level that you are, obviously, that I've known him 40 years, but I've known him 10 anyway. You don't yeah. want to be to that level that Tom knows him. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I've known him could be weird. more than 10, probably 15 <laughs> now. But, uh, yeah, so anyway, I, I, having done the show there at the Hog's Breath, right. so obviously I'm pretty familiar with him and his wife and his daughters and – yeah. So it wasn't like I was a complete stranger. For those of you that do or do not know, Shane took over the Rowdy Cowboy show. I don't know. How many years ago was that? 2008. 14 years ago. 14 years ago. Wow. Yeah. We uh, Fest 2008 was the last. Right right before We Fest 2008 is when you did your last Rowdy Cowboy show with me at the Hogs Breath. Right. And then after that, it was KG and I. So that. Uh, so that's. The dancing chicken. Them, <laughs> tell them how much, yeah, the dancing chicken. Tell them how much fun you had uh, at uh, your first deer camp in Minnesota. I had uh, really just had the time of my life. I mean, you talk about a group of guys that are so unbelievably humble and accommodating and generous and thoughtful. You know, I've I've been around other guys that hunt and they're very about themselves. You didn't and include I, wheels in that, did you? Yeah, no. <laughs> he let me ride in his truck for about three minutes. So I guess that counts for something. Um, no, but seriously, most most of the hunters that I've run into, whether online or in person, they're very, like, they don't want to share secrets or spots or, like, they're just keep yeah. everything close to the vest. And 
they acknowledge that you're also 100, but that's as far as it goes. Well, it was the total opposite experience for me up there at this deer camp. Everybody was, like, talking about spots and the best places to look and given mm-hmm. you know helping me as a newer hunter only haven't having hunted five years now um all the tips and tricks they could think of about hunting those spots right. and you know dropping me off and picking me up i mean it was just what an incredible experience and a group of guys in general well that's the way it's supposed to be you know we have a friend robin who understands that a lot of uh, people, a lot of people robin's been on our show before and a lot of people don't understand that i'm especially at my age now and Tommy Dre as well, we're just as excited if you shoot a deer. Like if you shoot a deer and I don't, that's fine with me. I mean, the new guy getting a deer is like when we start bringing your kid hunting, you know. Yep. It'll be just as exciting if they shoot a deer. And like Robin says, the more the merrier. Let's go. Let's fill some tags and let's have some fun. Right. Let's get some meat on the ground and uh, get bloody and all that. those sort of things that – Make it what it's all about. There's no way I'm going to hunt with people. Well, I'm not going to tell you where to go or what to do. You know, share the experience and let's all have fun. Not only that, TK, but the camaraderie at night being back at camp. Right. Because of the time of year that it is, you know, you can be sitting there eating a meal, having a cocktail, watching an episode of Yellowstone, chatting up with the boys, eating some chips around the center island or whatever. Because you don't have to, like, like unlike elk hunting in Colorado, where you're up at 4 a.m. to try right. to get to your spot, you're sleeping for Minnesota deer camp till 7, <laughs> you know, or 6.30 or whatever. Yeah, about then, 6, 6.30. And yeah, way later. Yeah, and the days of us going out for a beverage and uh, whooping it up are long gone. Go to town and ride the Ferris wheel? We, <laughs> we used to go into town and ride the Ferris wheel. <laughs> all the time and i just can't do that anymore <laughs> and i'm sit think back to it like when we first started going up to the uh, thief river area how did we do it then we'd go out and party and drink and hit the saloons and not anymore no. and i like it better this way but then again i didn't really care for it that much i always told my guys uh, the guys that i hunt with you know a lot of people when they go hunting they're getting away from their family and maybe their wife and their work and they want to whoop it up, and I understand that. Me, I whooped it up for a living. Right. You know, I was working the clubs, and I was doing this. When I went hunting, I really preferred to lay low, not go out. But I always, I would go out with them because I didn't want to just say, no, I'm going to stay home. But I preferred to lay low. Somebody's going to keep I'm those hunting. boys out of jail. <laughs> <laughs> well, that didn't always happen. <laughs> um, but... Uh, yeah, we have a great, great time up there, and I hope we can do it for another 10 years, you know. Yeah, we. so one of the other experiences that was super cool up there is the one night that we did go um, out at night. It was to grab d- supper right. and had a cocktail while we were having supper. Yep. So we walked into this restaurant, and I'm looking for a spot at the bar where we can just kind of belly up and order food and order a drink and that kind of thing. And I turned around, and there's Tom. Heading right back into the kitchen. I was like, yeah, you can't do that. And <laughs> sure enough, he's back there hugging and shaking hands with the owner. And so that was pretty cool. Yeah, he's a great guy. He owned that bar. I, gosh, he's owned that bar since ever since we've been going up. He's had that. It was just a, actually, it was a 3 2 bar. No it's hard a, liquor. It's a cool story, though. Like he was the mayor, right? Well, unintentionally. Every year, <laughs> this teeny little town of New Folden has uh, a lot of churches. And they didn't want a liquor license in their town. 
and every year he'd lobby for a liquor license and they wouldn't get it. So he decided to run for mayor. He won the <laughs> he won he w he became the mayor, got made sure he got himself a liquor license, and he was the mayor for four years and and then he re retired. But then he expanded his uh, place. He got liquor in it, strong beer, and then he opened a kitchen. And he's back there cooking every night, and he's had that place for over 40 years. And his name is Ron. If you ever get up to the Hobo House up by New Folden, in New Folden, say hello to Ron. Say hello from Tomcat. Uh, he's just a great guy. And they have really good food, and uh, just he, a great spot to be. He was a very nice gentleman. Yep. He gave us uh, LED flashlights, which was super cool. Yeah. Just a really nice guy. Yeah. Good service, good food. Boy, he works hard. Hard-working man. If anyone that's ever been in the restaurant business, he knows how hard it is. There's the deer I shot. Yep, TK's uh, buck. Before the uh, rifle season. Nice big eight. No, that's uh, 10. One, two, three, oh, four. Oh, it is 10. You're right. And uh, about the brow tines. Yeah, one of my buddies thought it was too small, but he doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. <laughs> it's outside the ears. Yes, it is. And, you know, I didn't take a very good picture, and I should do better a better job of taking pictures. But one thing I like about it is you can see the bow, and you can see you can see the uh, exit hole. Yep. And, you know, I'm in that stand, Shane, and, you know, when you're in the stand and you're daydreaming and you're looking around the woods and you think, God, if a deer would just come right down that trail right there, that'd be so perfect. And not long after I'm thinking that, I'd had a little history with this deer, uh, which I don't need to go into, but he came on that same trail that I was hoping a deer would come down, and he was totally broadside. He was less than 20 yards, and it was just, and I had didn't have to shoot through a window, through limbs or brush. He's just this long distance, like this 20-yard spot where he walked broadside to me. I didn't even stop him. I just hammered him at like about 15, 17 yards. <laughs> <laughs> and I was one of those things where I just watched him dash off and tail flip and there he lay. And it was just really, really, uh, really exciting for me. Exciting for me, too, because I love getting that text message wherever we are, whether it's yeah. South Dakota or northern Minnesota or wherever. And I get that message from you with your whatever it is, deer, antelope, or whatever, and it says, come on now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Lynn's gotten a few of those messages. I bet she has <laughs> over the years. <laughs> so, yeah, last day that we were there. Oh, uh, that's the door you shot. Yeah, so last day we were there, I sat in the uh, box blind to start with, Yep. and I'd been seeing bucks and doe there all week, and I have a little video, Danny, the other video that you got that we were talking about before. Did you find that one? You didn't? Oh. Let me try and send it to you. That was a nice doe, and I actually saw you shoot that deer. Um, I was in a strip uh, Tommy stand, and you were north of me towards the north end, and uh, the does come piling out, and wang, you nailed them. Went right down. Yeah, so we, uh, I've been seeing um, deer out of that box blind, the whole week that we were there, uh, mostly doe. I did see a nice buck, but he was just too far. He's 400-some yards away, and that's the video I just sent you, Danny, so you can see that. Um, anyway, yeah, so that one morning, sat in that box blind for 
three hours or three and a half hours or whatever Sorry, it was. Sorry, real quick. The one you sent me was the two bucks fighting again. Oh, oh it was? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I, th- I never mind. Anyway, I thought <laughs> I took some video of the other. Anyway. Sorry. Don't fire me. No, you're good. Um, so anyway, so didn't see any deer right. in that smaller field that morning, which I thought was really surprising. But um, you'd already gotten your buck. TD would already gotten his buck. So you guys both kind of came over and converged and said, here's what we're going to do. We want you to go sit, you know, in, in that lane right. that we had the photo of or the video of before. Towards the north end. And we're going to push the woods and see if we can just push something out for you. Yep. So go down there and get in that stand, and then we'll push the woods. And I said, okay, great. So I got my rifle, and I just start walking. I didn't get more than about 30 feet because, you know, Tom's ha- having me working on getting my sight picture faster. So I took probably five, eight steps and held the rifle up, got my sight picture, and then took five, eight steps, held my rifle up, and I'm just making my way down to that. Make s- it muscle memory and yeah. so it's just as automatic. Right, because this is my first time legitimately hunting with a firearm. Right. Um, I'd always hunted with, with my bow. So anyway, so after doing that two, three times, I get 30 or 40 feet from you guys, and sure enough, probably 200-ish yards out in front of me, maybe not even that as it turns out, this big buck comes walking out of the woods, walked out into the into that lane. He walked about, I don't know, 10, 15 feet off the tree line and just stopped and was just standing <laughs> there broadside staring at me. So I get that rifle up, and I put it on him, and I pulled the trigger, and I thought I hammered him. But th- as it turns out, he was closer than I thought he was, right. and the bullet went over his back because he reacted like he got shot. You know, I turned around, and it did look like he – but I guess when I – in hindsight, I think about that. He was just digging into the ground. I thought he was maybe faltering, yeah. but he was just dropped low like they do, and then he was just digging up dirt and headed west. Right. And uh, He bolted into the woods on the other side. We went the up there and looked for a while. Yeah, the tracks were obvious where he was, and no hair, no blood. And, uh, yeah, I suppose, you know, it, it takes a little time to, to get that sight window up automatically, uh, especially when you've never done it before. And uh, I think you thought that deer was maybe a little bit further than it was. And yep. You ain't the first one to miss, and you ain't going to be the last one. And So a little painful having missed on that buck. Um, I've missed plenty in my life. But then after missing that shot, then the game plan changed, and you boys said, let's go all the way down to the other side of that lane by the big field. Right. Stay back off the end a little bit because there is a big trail where they're coming up off the creek that's back there and crossing through that lane to get to the other side. Yeah. So I set up on one side, you set up on the other side, which is a funny part of the story because as Tom TD pushed the woods, we did have um, a few doe come up out of there, and I ended up shooting one. Yep. Well, after I shot her because she wasn't more than 15 yards or something like that and hammered her right in the sweet spot, and you weren't taking any ch- chances. I didn't. <laughs> yeah, well, the deer went down, and bef- but all of a sudden it jumped up, and I've seen too many stories where you lose one so. I put, I'm on the other side of Shane, and he was running. You were quite a bit further away, too. Right before it got into the woods, I hammered him, too. (laughs) So when we went over to get her, because she didn't get more than probably 20 or 30 feet into the woods before she fell over and passed away. And uh, so it was a quick expiration, which is always what you want. Mm -hmm. We get over there, and we're looking at the bullet wounds, and you got mine, and then yours is right next to mine. (laughs) On the opposite side. Yeah, Yeah, the hole. Yeah, they're like, you can't Can you zoom on that, Danny? Uh, yeah, no, you a lower hole and a higher hole, but they're right next to each other. Yeah, we don't know whose is whose, but no. we'll, <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, I think mine's the lower one because mine was the exit, and yours is above. Oh, the, right. You can see yours. Yeah, the smaller hole. Again. Yep. You can see yours was the entrance hole, which is always smaller. Yeah. Yep. Either way, good to go. Got the job done. Lots of venison to eat. Yep. Field dresser right there. Um, TD does not eat venison because he's a crazy person. So he donated. Yeah, he's not much of a meat eater. No. So he donated uh, his deer to my family because he knows I got a herd of people in my house. So we ended up with venison from two deer, which we... Didn't I give you mine, too? No. Oh. No, which is fine. Yeah. You get you to eat, too. Yeah. Plus, you give yours away. We ended up giving probably close to half of our venison away to yeah. friends and family. Yeah. You know, roasts and steaks and sticks and salami and all that sort of thing. Right. So. Typically, the deer I shoot in Wisconsin, I give to a there's guy TDs. from my church. That's TD, Tommy DeRay from the Hog's Breath, and that's a nice 10-pointer he shot. That was a good one. You know, he owns all that land up there, and the last couple of years he hasn't been able to shoot anything, just in the wrong spot at the wrong time. You said it passes up a lot of deer. He's sitting in the Taj Mahal. Have I? No, he was. Oh, was he? Yeah, he, he shot was that. sitting when he shot that. So it's always a good deal when he gets something big and nice. There's yours. Oh. So you can see the rack is outside the ears, no question about it. Is that it. a photo? Is that on your phone? Yeah. Would you text that to me, please? Yeah. You don't have to do it right now. Yeah, I'll do it now. We're Ship talking. It. Ship it. I'll ship it to you. Ship that to me. Ship it right on over. And there's the uh, the hunting mobile. As you can see, that's my Chevy Express van. All-wheel drive. No seats in the back. I Hunting season, I throw a piece of cardboard down because of the blood. It's all carpeted, and I put beds in there when I'm in the mountains to sleep. It's got a heater in the back. It's the best vehicle I've ever owned. Just can go through anything. I've got 300,000 miles on it, and it still runs like a top. So there's a little Chevrolet commercial. Here we <laughs> go. Why do we call it the Taj Mahal, TK? <laughs> that one's taken. Taj Mahal on wheels. No, no, no. I'm talking about the, the blind. Oh. Why do you call it Taj Mahal? Oh, because it's just, you know, you can put four people in there. It's huge. It's the biggest one they got. Yeah. It's really nice. So I don't know. There's... If you go across the United States, especially Minnesota and Wisconsin, there are hundreds of uh, deer stands called the Taj Mahal. My friend Mark from church has got a two-seater. That's, that's Wisconsin. Oh, that's that little bar? That wasn't the one, not the little bar where you ate the weird brat thing. No. <laughs> No, but it's the one that we went to a couple of times. Yeah, that's the, the second one that we went to. The one that wasn't open the first time How we tried it. How you always take pictures of me when I look like a complete doofus? I cannot help the expression you one. make when you see me pointing a camera at you. That's that's our gangster OG, Tom. <laughs> Holy balls. i got to stop taking pictures. <laughs> oh, that's at you least this one's uh, not you. That's you and the, the blind and the food plot. It's it's not Tom and it's also gang not gang affiliated. <laughs> Good restaurant. You know, I was telling uh, Andrew Jordan about that restaurant, that little bar. That turned out to be a great place. Remember, yeah. we went there and they weren't open yet. Yep. But they they get their beef for their hamburgers locally. They get their buns for the hamburgers across the street from the bakery. Yep. I mean, everything is fresh, 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 and they make they take a potato, they take a huge Idaho potato. And they run it through the uh, uh, deal that makes French fries. Yep. You know, the, they, they 
make each one and they throw that whole potato in the deep fryer and they come out like thin they're, they're they got the skin on them and they're just delicious they're fresh made right on the spot so they're Ten. <laughs> I'm like, where'd that voice come from? Um, no, they were. It was, it was I mean, so my, Andrew's going to be. He bought a place up by Yellow River and Yellow Lake, and uh, he's going to stop there because he goes through Frederick and uh, fresh beef, fresh rolls for the buns, fresh French fries. I mean, it just doesn't get any better than that. Right. Right. I mean, exactly. Uh, a little little spot like that, and they're really doing it right. I don't remember the name of the joint. So, yeah, so Minnesota was a success all the way around. We harvested animals, had a great time, made some fantastic memories. Um, and then we come back, and we're getting ready for Wisconsin. So the biggest issue that we had in Wisconsin, TK, was the furnace yeah. because it had been so long, five-plus years since that um, camper had been used. The furnace had been turned on in that long, and we couldn't get it to fire up. So we get a local local guy to come out. Yeah. He was a colorful character. Yep. And uh, he's out there working in the freezing cold with no gloves or nothing. He's got his jacket half open like he doesn't care. He's a grizzled guy. Fortunately, my buddy from River uh, Ellsworth, Wisconsin, had delivered to me a new electronic board. Yep. So it needed a board. It needed the striker. Ig igniter. The igniter. Yep. So he put a new igniter and a new board, and it still wasn't working like it was it would go a little, but Blew then it would some stop. some ice out of the lines. Blew ice out of the lines. That was a wild experience. Um, you ended up taking our 100-pound LP tank that we got from my brother-in-law <laughs> over to a shop over here, right? In Maplewood. Maplewood. And they put a new... Great guy. I wish I knew the place. There's a LP place in Maplewood. If you're listening, you have issues with an LP tank, furnace, and just call these guys. Look for them in Maplewood. It's, I can't think of the name. But I'm telling you, this guy was so helpful where I went to like a half a dozen, literally more than half a dozen other LP players. No one could figure it out. And this guy figured out the fitting because it was an older tank. He uh, updated it. You know, he stamped it. Yeah. And it was. New regulator, right? Yeah. It was like 150 bucks, And I'm like, are you kidding me? They filled it up. I mean, it was full. Yeah. But they filled up an, a, a 30-pounder for me to they were just so helpful, and just they just got it. I swear, it's just like the service everywhere. Nobody just, I'm like scratching my head. I said, this is not rocket science, and this should not be this hard a thing to figure out. So we were out there at uh, that camp messing with that thing between the actual furnace itself, between the tanks, between the lines to the tanks, between trying to get the lines connected to the tanks. I mean, we were out there probably half a dozen times for several hours each time right. just calling LP places, trying to get parts, call-in places, trying to get service questions answered about the furnace itself. What a comedy. And now that, that we know was. we know now, it probably would have taken one trip, grab that tank, take it to the guy in Maplewood, bring it back, because uh, uh, Justin had uh, fixed one of the lines. He'd given us uh, – We it needed a new alternator, too. Yes. So there you go. So there's uh, – the, we got it working, and it works great. And if anyone has an idea how to stop the wind from going underneath, I suppose you can just put up plywood because you don't want to put hay bales down. We need a skirt for sure. We don't want to do it with hay bales because that attracts mice. Yep. 
So we got to figure out a good skirting for it next year. Yeah, we're gonna gonna put uh, rubber <laughs> membrane coating on that roof. Yep. Make sure it doesn't leak. Yep. Since it's gonna be exposed to the elements, we tried putting a tarp up there, but it didn't hasn't even made it through <laughs> half of the winter. No. And it came down already. She's so. a goner, but that's a big tarp, Mike. How many feet was that tarp? Sixty by thirty. Wow. That was a, and we tried putting that tarp up in a windy day, so yeah, that made uh, that was an adventure. More interesting. Tom was getting ready to go up the ladder because somebody had to be on the camper, and the other guys on the ground as the kind of teamwork to get that tarp pulled across that camper because it's so long. Tom started working his way up that ladder, and I was like, "Get your ass off that ladder right now!" Because I am not bringing you back with a broken leg and explaining that to your wife. <laughs> Why did you think I was going to fall? If you had got up on top of that camper, you would have fell for sure. Why? Well, you think I'm clumsy or what? <laughs> Come on, Tom. I climb trees all the time, and I cream la climb ladders. Did you? Were you worried about me? When you me? were 25, I'm sure you climbed a lot of when trees. You, were you worried about me when I climbed up and cut them straps down off of that ladder, Sam? A little bit. Well, don't make don't make me throw the dirt around on the podcast. We're leaving that one alone. Out of respect for you, sir, we're leaving that one alone. Uh, so anyway, um, we did end up getting the tar pulled across, and it took a little finagling because it was getting hung up on you know, vent pipes or the air conditioner or whatever that's up on top of that. Mm -hmm. So it did take a little bit of finagling with that. You said the wind, it was nasty up there. Yeah. So that was a scary deal. But we did get it covered and it lasted for a month. <laughs> what is this picture we're looking at? I think that's out the back of that tower on the northeast or northwest part of your property. What is that on the left? Is that, oh, that's a shadow of the. Uh, of the tower. Oh, that's a shadow of the tower that we're seeing on the trees. Yep. Interesting, yeah. Down there, some will be water when the water levels come back. Probably some marshy. Right down that hill that you're looking at, there's a uh, bear den. Saw a big bear. Never saw the bear, but I saw big tracks. Um, huge beaver dam down in that country. It's just beautiful, beautiful up there. So, again, we didn't shoot any deer in uh, Wisconsin, but we had a great time. And uh, that's the inside of, uh, well, that's your gun. Yep, my 30 odd six savage that stand, and that's looking south. So that's going to be a food plot, right, TK? Yep. That's all CRP right now, but that's going to be a food plot. So this is your property. Yeah. Okay. So then your goal for this one would be to do like food and get get them to come back because they're they're gone. Question. Mark? Well, they're there. You know, you see the tracks, but uh, once the once the bullets in Wisconsin, typically, you know. Once the bullets start flying, man, if you don't get your deer the first day or the second day, it's a tough go because they run, they've got their hidey holes and they start hearing the bullets go and it's, you know, it's not, it's, there's very little farmland up there like uh, where Tommy Duray's, you know, it's mostly farmland and plots of woods. This is mostly forests and little plots of fields. They've got their hidey holes and they, you won't see deer for <laughs> A long, long time, and then they get real nocturnal. So, as is with most uh, hunting scenarios, it's the first two days, and especially the first days, that your best chance. Well, we weren't sure of the property. I mean, Shane was in that tower, and I'm surprised he didn't see anything. But again, when they start hearing bullets, they take off for the Netherlands, and uh, hard to hunt them. So the idea is he set up. Because the, they need three very Im important or basic things. They need food, they need water, they need bedding. 
And so right. the idea is to try to get yourself in a position where you're going to be near one of those things. Um, so you can either create a water hole and get set up over that, which is how we hunt antelope in South Dakota. Or you create food plots, which is what we're talking about, where you give them a food source to come specifically to when they're hungry right. as an opportunity to hunt them. You don't want to go in the bedding area generally. And I guess in some counties in Wisconsin, you can uh, take a five-gallon pail of corn and throw it out by your stand, and I have never done that. And I did hunt over uh, one of those stands once, and I said, this is not hunting. This is, And, you know, when you put corn out on the field, as a lot of hunters know, or if you just put a pile of corn out there, well, okay, the deer know it's there. They're not going to come out in the daylight. They're going to they're going to become totally nocturnal, and maybe the young does and maybe even a young buck might come to them. But That'd I, be I'm fishing, not a fan right? of it. It's like fishing. Yeah, I'm just not a fan of put hunting the bait deer out. <laughs> over bait. But planting a food plot, you know, you're not, you know, you're not harvesting the food and putting it all in a pile. It's it's way more natural. Ted Nugent disagrees with me, but I'm sure Ted Nugent and I disagree on a lot of things. <laughs> but, the Nuge. Uh, you know, he's a very pro-baiting, and I'm like, I'm not, I, you got to bait for bear, otherwise you'll never see a bear. And then baiting for bear gives you the opportunity to see multiple bear and figure out if they're sows, small, with cubs, and what they are, and then wait for a big bear to come in. If you don't bait for bear or run them with hounds, you know, you're not going to get a bear. So I understand it for uh, bear hunting, but for deer hunting, I'm just not a fan of it, and I won't do it. You know, just get a food plot going. It's a lot more work, a lot more money, but uh, <coughs> you're hunting a more more natural environment. So we did end up getting the furnace running on the, on the uh, <laughs> rig. Back to the furnace. Yep, so we had heat. And that worked, I mean, aside, because we had kind of an adventure, the, the first night we stayed out there, it turned out that, for whatever reason, oh, it, you know what it, it was, is Justin had wired our outlet into, in with some other outlets in there, yeah. in that building. Right. And so when we had the three space heaters running, it ended up drawing too much power, and it right. blew the circuit middle of the night. And so we were and it wasn't pretty just chilly the, the circuit, next morning. It actually blew something in the wiring, because the wiring goes through the insulation in the roof, and... He had to replace the, all of the wiring and go to an, and build a new circuit. So, right. So yeah, we uh, bailed that first night. Yeah, we did. We ended up coming back to your place and getting a few hours of sleep because your lovely missus was out of town. So I, you know, parked on your couch and you got to sleep in your bed and yeah. And, and then we got up the next morning and we went back in. Yep. Went back in. Got that furnace running. So I'm going to tell you right now, we're going to have you know Wisconsin. Another reason, well, you know, this is a long story, but uh, I kind of, uh, I'm more in favor of the DNR in uh, Wisconsin than Minnesota. One thing, they we spend a lot of money for archery license, and we spend a lot of money for a rifle license. Well, in, in Wisconsin, you can shoot a deer with your bow, and then you can shoot a, another deer with your rifle, bucks. You can shoot a buck with your bow, and you shoot a buck with your rifle. You've got two licenses. I wish Minnesota would do that. So I'm going to tell you right now, before we even rifle hunt next year with these stands we're putting in, we're going to harvest deer with our bow. I'm real confident of that. We'll get deer with our bow before the rifle season even starts. That's what I'm really looking forward to next year. Yeah, that makes two of us. I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah. So we got our work cut out for us out there to get that land cultivated. 
because as we said earlier in the episode, it is butt up against state land, so we should see a fair amount of traffic from deer coming through there, right. especially as the hunting seasons get going and all of those normal public land hunters are pushing them across that public right. and over onto your private land to have much better shot opportunities yep. um, to get good deer, to get harvest good deer. Because, you know, our, our goal, obviously, is to not shoot little button bucks or little forks or spikes. You want to shoot right. the mature deer and let the other deer grow to be mature deer. Right, right. So the way you do that is by letting the other small ones go. Yeah. And, uh, you know, with the way the hunting structured in Wisconsin, I don't fault anybody, especially the young people, and even myself. I mean, I've killed dozens and dozens of deer in Wisconsin, and I hunted with a group that, uh, you know, if it had horns, you're going to shoot it. Everything was legal. You had to have three-inch horns. Um, on the deer, uh, if it, even if it was a spike, it had to be at least three inches. And so I harvested a lot of small deer, and I harvested a lot of big deer, a lot of big bucks. But you know, it's not just a Minnesota policy that it's brown, it's down. <laughs> yeah, it just depends on who you're hunting with and where you are. Um, but uh, in Wisconsin, you know, you get the families, you get the young kids out there, you want them to shoot a deer. Yeah. And you know, there's still a lot of people in the world. A lot of bull hunters that believe that any buck shot with a bow is a real trophy. Right. I mean, that's not easy. And so it's like if you shoot a smaller six-pointer or something like that with a bow, that's fine. Yeah. You know, I, I want to see people get out there. I like eating venison, and I like pulling the trigger, and I like dropping the string. And... uh I've been fortunate enough to get a couple of nice 10-pointers this last couple of years. And it's real a big deal. It's a real big victory for me because of the loss of eyesight that I've had. I've been working on it, working on it, experimenting with different sites. And uh, I'm still kind of experimenting, but it's not affecting me when I'm out in the woods or out in the fields. It's the inside lighting that's... Clearly, you, sh you double shot my doe from about 50 <laughs> yards. So everything's working well, and that's... Uh, that was my biggest fear when I started losing eyesight that I wouldn't be able to hunt anymore or pull my bow or aim at anything. And uh, fortunately, uh, God's blessing me, and I am able to still harvest animals. So Muscle yeah. memory. Yeah. And yeah, a lot of it is. Shooting a pheasant, as I found out, was muscle memory because when this eyesight first happened to me, when I went down to Iowa or, or Minnesota, I was picking up my gun and I was aiming at the bird trying to see if I could see my sight on the shotgun and I could see the bird and I was missing them. And then this year I was the first bird that jumped up. I just didn't even think about it. I just did the muscle memory and I pulled up my gun and I shot the bird. And I'm like, well, that's, I just got to do that. Like I just got to not think about it. Yeah. I got to forget about things. Cause I was actually pulling my head off the stock. I was looking at my bead. I was looking at the bird and I just wasn't shooting naturally and I was missing them. And for I did get a few, but I was missing more than I shot. And this year I shot everything that I saw. And it was just <laughs> just going back to the way your muscle memory and uh, the way you're supposed to do it. Hey, let's talk about the uh, Minnesota Deer, Turkey, uh, Deer and Turkey Classic. The biggest hunter's expo in the Midwest. If you, those of you that are viewing uh, via, via, what am I trying to say, via... Video, if you're watching us on video. If you're watching us on video, which yep. is typically YouTube, uh, we've got the uh, 
It's at Canterbury Park. We got the Minnesota, two, 2022 Minnesota Deer and Turkey Classic, March 11th, 12th, and 13th. I'll be working the Deer Classic. I'll actually be introducing the um, uh, the speakers like Pat and Nicole. Celeb they're from Minnesota, by the way. Pat yeah. and Nicole are Minnesotans. Melissa Bachman and uh, Lee and Tiffany, who are Minnesotans and used to come to the Rowdy Cowboy Show. I've known them for many, many years. I heard that goose again. The goose is loose here. And we're going to try to get there, too. We're, we're going to be uh, hopefully doing a podcast from the uh, Minnesota Deer and Turkey Classic. Get to interview all those people. We'll go get to interview them. And uh, now, there's a lot of other speakers that will be uh, not big celebrities like them, but uh, other speakers. And other. I'll probably get uh, Rob Dressling, the new owner of Outdoor News, mm -hmm. in the booth and uh, do a little interview with him. And uh, Now, Lee and Tiff, they're in Iowa now. Right. They're from Minnesota, but they're in Iowa. Right. They live in Iowa. Yeah, and, and you the claim to fame is you uh, named their show for them secondhand. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Oh, come on, man. That's there's, uh, there's too, too much know, there to not be coincidence. That's pretty funny. I just told that story a couple days ago. Uh, my buddy Scott Jordan and I were at the uh, Deer Classic, and there was Lee and Tiffany in their booth signing autographs and saying hello. And, and, and you and knew I, them. And just, oh, yeah. And Tiffany used to come up to the DJ booth and request songs and, uh, Lee was there once in a while, and and just being a smart aleck, I uh, <coughs> Tiffany walked over to me, and I, we're standing there, ch -ch -ch and I said, well, the first thing I said to her is, hey, ain't you that cute little girl that used to have a crush on me? You know, being real sarcastic. Yeah. And her mom was standing there, and she goes, oh, I think it was probably the other way around, wasn't it? And I said, yeah, it probably was. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I don't know if, if it was a month later, they named their show The Crush. Right. And, and now it's probably I'm one of the most popular hunting shows on TV. Oh, yeah. And I don't know that it was because I said that to her. And how often do you ever hear the word crush anymore? I, that never. You never hear it. And so I'm thinking, well, maybe my sarcasm was an inspiration for them to name the show The Crush. <laughs> yep. An homage to TK. Oh, yeah. I hope they're not listening to this. They're probably, You're full of shit. <laughs> so we're trying to figure out, um, you know. I just want to do a quick shout out about Ladies yeah. Night. Yeah. So if there's any lady huntresses uh, listening, uh, if you go on Friday night to um, the Minnesota Deer and Turkey Classic, it is free for the ladies from 4 to 9 to get in. Whoop, whoop. I know. And, and the first 50 ladies through the door gets uh, a gift. So just shout out to my ladies. And I would say that. Is Eric, it a hug from Tomcat? <laughs> <laughs> is that their gift? Maybe a hug from Eric. Eric would do anything to get the gals in the door. I'm going to say <laughs> maybe. That's no, it's a, a really good maybe. marketing idea. <laughs> yeah. Get well, the gals in there. In the last 10 years, women have taken well, a much more serious interest in the hunting in general. Just look at outdoor news. Yeah. Look at the uh, women uh, in the reader shots and uh, the women telling stories. And as far as I'm concerned, Shane, and uh, anybody listening, I think it's a total blessing that women – have taken such an interest in hunting and fishing and uh, s the outdoor sports in general yeah. because with the anti-hunters out there and, you know, th uh, th it's pretty hard for them to get mad at a mom who's out there putting food on the table, killing turkeys or deer or whatever the animal is. Ridiculous. And uh, they're not going to do it. And Those are the same people that go, won't you just get it from the supermarket? I've heard. Uh, <laughs> like, come on. 
Like, really? I've heard people <laughs> say that women are actually saving the sport, and uh, yeah. kudos to them, and I'm glad they are, and I'm glad they're, and I've hunted with women, and I enjoy it. And my wife's been on several hunting trips with me, even though she doesn't hunt. I'm, uh, I'm going to I'm gonna get my wife going, too, TK. Yeah. Now, now that she's officially a doctor, she yeah. got all that school stuff behind her, and, you know, Tucker's getting to the point where he's less and less dependent on her. Okay. You know, get her out there in the woods. So, uh Kudos to the women. Uh, pick up an, uh, a copy of Outdoor News, and you'll see a lot of p- women in the shots. And uh, um, yeah, that, that's a good, good deal for hunting. And it really sends a a message to the non-hunters, not to be confused with anti-hunters. Mm-hmm. The non-hunters t- typically don't care one way or the other, but right. they're seeing all these women, the, a guy's girlfriend or his wife, and they all want to get into hunting. And I think that's just wonderful. It sends a wonderful message to uh to uh, all the public and uh well and especially because that you have this stigma of well is she just there to be the trophy wife tag along and then you get people like melissa bachman or uh you know tiffany or um nicole reeve you know that are beautiful women but also very successful hunters in their own right well, i'll tell you melissa bachman uh, all she's amazing girls. All those girls are the real deal. I remember interviewing Melissa Bachman when she was not that popular, and she's a very pretty gal and just, again, salt of the earth. and just Very nice Very gal. kind and uh, thoughtful woman. And I watch her shows now, and I see the trophies she's harvested. I'm, like, blown away. And her her shows are so professionally done. Danny put that flyer for the for the um, deer in Turkey because she's on that flyer. What's her show called? Winchester? Uh, I can't remember. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Melissa, I'm not thinking. Uh, she's got a big 10 or 12 on the uh, flyer. Well, she's got some monster elk, moose. You yeah, look at that thing. That's a that's a pig. Look at how big that deer is. That's a huge look at the mass on that main beam. Yeah. Unbelievable. And in her program... You know, she harvested like a monster moose. She put that moose ant, those moose antlers, on her own back and walked that thing out. <laughs> and I she's mean, not it's a funny. And she's not very big. No. she's per, she's petite, but obviously in great shape. I ran into her not this last summer, but summer before up at Bowfest. Yeah, um, I was with a couple of buddies, and she was just coming off of a one of the what do you call them routes? Right. Um, trails. trails yeah, trails. And we were just heading out. We stopped and chatted with her, and I don't know who was with her. It was her guy or whatever, but she was uh, ripped. I don't think uh, she was married shape. at that time when you saw her. Sure. But she's recently married, uh, like in the last two or three years. She married a DNR guy from South Dakota, and it was a, seems like it was a marriage made in heaven. I was like, was it to get insight on antelope? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if she was working him or if he was working her, but they uh, seemed to really love each other, and... Uh, it's worked out well for both of them because he's a big hunter and she's a big hunter. And Great. Uh, her shows, uh, doggone it, I can't think of the name of that show. It's something Winchester. Lynn, can you look that up real quick? Or Danny, one of you on the Google? What's Melissa Bachman's hunting show it, called? It'll pop into my little pea brain here. Um, but, uh, yeah, the uh, Minnesota uh, Outdoor News Deer and Turkey Classic. Winchester, oh, I lost it. Winchester Deadly Passion. Winchester Deadly Passion. So we're, the plan is for us to be out there 
um, for a few hours on Friday and Saturday to try to catch celebrities, do some interviewing, yeah. talk to the crowd, do some promotion for the sport in general. Right. So that's what, that's what we're planning on right now. So for those of you that are fans or viewers of Boots and Backstraps, be very excited about that. It's not till uh, March. It's the 10th, 11th, and 12th of March, I believe, if my memory serves me correct. Yep. Um, and so we will have more information about that coming soon, and hopefully we'll be able to get somebody from Outdoor News to come sit and talk to us before. Yeah, I'm sure we can get Rob Dressling, who recently purchased Outdoor News from Eric's dad, Glenn Meyer, and uh, now he's the new owner, he and his partner, and uh, couldn't be happier for him because... Now we know that the outdoor news is going to continue on for many decades to come. Uh, Rob's been the editor for years, and uh, he gets it, and he knows how to do it. And uh, it's a great magazine. And I don't know if you know, but that magazine is uh, – I shouldn't call it a magazine. It's a weekly newspaper. It's bi-weekly in Wisconsin. But it goes all the way out to New York. There's Minnesota, Wisconsin, Indiana, Illinois, Ohio, Pennsylvania, New York. Sure. All those have outdoor news. Wow. And they're successful in all those states. Well, it's a, it's a very impressive show. Yep. And that there are booths for pretty much everything you can think of as far as outdoor hunting activity is concerned, whether you're looking for stands, you're looking for weapons, you're looking for... Any kind of gear. Yeah, gear, whatever you can think of. They have booths there representing it. Winchester Deadly Passion. That's it. Yep. Winchester Deadly Passion. She already told us in our ears. <laughs> Winchester Deadly Passion, Melissa Bachman. Yeah, those three girls and those two guys, boy, they've got it going on. And, you know, I want to do a little shout-out. I was on the phone with them the other day, uh, Nick Hoffman, Nick's uh, Wild Ride. Yep. You know, for those of you that don't know who Nick Hoffman is, he was a uh, Minnesota guy. Minnesota guy, played in High Noon for years and then moved to Nashville. And uh, he was Kenny Chesney's right-hand guy. Played uh, fiddle, played the guitar, played a banjo, played anything. To say he played the fiddle is a pretty serious understatement. Yeah. Amazingly talented guy. Yeah, and, you know, his show, you know, I don't want to – Pat and Nicole won the, Minnesota, the Moose Award, and I know Lee, Lee and Tiffany won. I love watching Nick's show. He always gets – it's called Nick's Wild Ride. He'll go to Italy or he'll go to New Mexico, and he'll wind up in the local tavern talking about the local food and the local beverages, and he's humorous and informative, and he always harvests, typically harvests these great animals, whether it's New Zealand or Australia, Italy or, you know, Minnesota, his home state, duck hunting, pheasant yeah. hunting, big game hunting. It's just a great show. I encouraged him to watch our one of our podcasts and let me know how, what he thought about it because I think his show is the best. It's not only on the, the Outdoor Channel, it's also on uh, Bally Sportsnet. Okay. Uh, on our, you know, where you see the Minnesota Wild and the Minnesota Timberwolves. He's got his shows on that. Encourage you to watch it. Nick's Wild Ride. All right, y'all. Well, that's going to be it for us today. We've got to wrap right. this thing up, bring this plane in for a landing. So, TK, it's been fun to sit here with you again. You know, it's really uh, it's really been a fun uh, afternoon just sitting here reminiscing. Uh, we never got into talking about bringing uh, bringing the kids out ice fishing with Kid George, our friends from Wisconsin, and uh, we're going to probably do that. And then uh, maybe in another episode we'll talk about spring turkey 
coming up this Next spring. Next on the list, spring turkey. You get a lot of work to do on the land out there. Speaking of turkey, we have uh, yet to get Tom Glines on the show. <laughs> we will. He'll, he'll, he'll nailing him down is that he Tom Glines is a big shot for the Midwest uh, Turkey Federation. Turkey Federation, yeah, yeah. The Midwest version of the National Wild Turkey Federation, to be more accurate. All right, y'all. Well, thanks for uh, tuning in and listening to our stories of uh, hunting glory and some comedy along the way. We appreciate you tuning in this week. Don't forget to check us out on all the available video and uh, audio platforms, including YouTube, Spotify, and pretty much anything in the podcast realm. You can find Boots and Backstraps. If you have questions, comments, or snide remarks, you can send those to Boots and Backstraps podcast at gmail.com, and uh, we will make sure to get through those and maybe even answer a few of them on the show. TK. I would say also, Shane. Uh, don't forget to hit like. Like, we need the likes. We need comments. <laughs> Danny, bring that thing back over here. There we go. Make sure that you hit like. Make sure you hit comment. Make sure you're sharing. All that stuff is what helps us to kind of keep up with the algorithm out there. And So do us that favor. It doesn't hurt you, and, uh, you know, we, we, we need it. So do us a favor and pinwheel that like button. I would say in the near future, look forward to uh, – seen some more country artists we haven't done any in a while yeah. and i actually invited nick uh, hoffman to be on the show and he said he'd love to uh, next time we can drag him into town so i uh, look forward to that folks uh having some more country artists and country music industry people on the show so in closing uh ladies and gentlemen whether you're belting out your favorite country tune or you're out there pursuing your favorite game animal i encourage you to use that same passion to pursue the lord He'll teach you to shoot straight. Thanks for viewing this week, and we look forward to seeing you next week. Come on now. On his own, looking for backstraps, way deep in the woods. Tracking in a swamp to a hayfield under the harvest moon. When the tags are filled, it's time to switch up our boots. Head down to the honky tonk, get us a swing dance or two. We're talking about boots and backstraps.